Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. back. We took a little hiatus from the podcast in late spring and early summer, and we're slowly getting back on schedule here at In Layman's Terms. Prior to the break, we were talking about how churches were emerging from our COVID-induced in-home exiles. For about 15 or 16 months, we pretty much stayed in our homes. I made an argument that it was similar, albeit admittedly in a small way, to how the Israelites endured in exile. In their case, they were carted off hundreds of miles away from their homes for 70 plus years. We only had to endure a little more than a year and we were actually stuck inside our homes. So while it's not exactly the same, as I've said many times before, I think we can learn from the Israelites about how we can reemerge from our exile as better disciples of Jesus Christ. And to refresh your memory, we've talked about how we can rebuild our faith practices Specifically, like the priest Ezra taught the people returning from exile, by digging into scripture. We've talked to several churches to discover how they are rebuilding their faith community and how they're rebuilding connections. We use Zerubbabel's rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem as our backdrop. In this episode, we're going to focus on the governor, Nehemiah, and his task of rebuilding the wall, and along with it, the society in Jerusalem, shaping this newly regained society in the way they wanted it to be. Before we welcome our guest for this episode, let's recap the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer, a cupbearer for the Persian king, and he's a big deal. His job is to make sure nobody can sneak in poison to kill the king in a push to gain power. Wasn't so unusual in those days. Nehemiah hears people who had been to Jerusalem talking, and they paint a terrible picture. Just ruins everywhere, people living in squalor. I visualize in my head the way that the burned-out European cities looked after World War I and World War II, and it's kind of what I think Jerusalem looked like. Nehemiah prays, and then he asks the king to be sent back to rebuild, and that wish is granted. Nehemiah gets there, and he surveys the damage for about three days before calling the leaders together. So here's what happened, in Nehemiah's own words, from the book that bears his name, from chapter 2, verses 16 to 18. The officials didn't know where I had gone or what I was doing. I hadn't yet told the Jews, the priests, the officials, the officers, or the rest who were there to do the work. So I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem is in ruins and its gates are destroyed by fire. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we won't continue to be in disgrace. I 
told them that my God had taken care of me and also told them what the king had said to me. Let's start rebuilding, they said, and they eagerly began the work. That last sentence in that passage, they eagerly began the work. I think the enthusiasm is a key here. This wasn't a chore. It was a passion. And how big a passion? Well, in the United States, it takes about 180 days in the 21st century to take an 1,800-square-foot single-family home from blueprints to the owner actually moving in. In Jerusalem, around 444 BCE, Nehemiah led a group that rebuilt a wall, a wall two and a half miles long, a wall 40 feet high, and a wall eight feet thick. And they did it in 52 days. Think about that. Now I'm making an educated guess here, but I bet the wall wasn't all that was being rebuilt. As sections of that wall were completed, I'm pretty sure that work was being done on homes and businesses and other infrastructure. The community was starting to take shape again after almost 100 years since it was pillaged. Friends, we aren't rebuilding a wall in Kansas and Nebraska, but I think that gives us a unique opportunity. Instead of rebuilding a wall, we have the chance to rebuild society as we want it. Be it matters of racial justice, poverty and homelessness, the marginalization of entire segments of our population, mental health, education, access to health care, and more, if ever we are going to hit the reset button and shape society in a way we want it to be, I think now's the time. And that leads me to the introduction of our guest for this episode. You're about to hear a discussion between myself and the Reverend Sarah Marsh. She's the Great Plains Conference's new coordinator for Mercy and Justice Ministries. She started this new appointment July 1st after several years as the leader of the conference's Mercy and Justice team. If we're going to reshape our society, we have to instill and enforce some social justice. I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. Well, welcome, Sarah, to In Layman's Terms. Thank you. Let's get right into it here. Um, Tell us a little bit about your background before you stepped into this role as the Mercy and Justice Coordinator. You bet. Um, Well, I've been a clergy with United Methodist Church um, since 2007, so I've had several stops along the way in ministry. And uh, I started in Wichita as an associate at College Hill United Methodist there for four years right out of seminary, which was a fantastic church with a lot of energy around social justice. Um, I went from there to Tecumseh United Methodist Church, a wonderful little church outside of Topeka. Um, with just solid, committed leaders who are passionate about their community. Um, And then while I was there, I um, had the opportunity to get involved with a community organization in Topeka called Topeka Jump. And that led me um, out into community work in a way that um, took me off the pastoral grid for a little while and into work at a nonprofit, um, working with a coalition of churches in Lawrence, Kansas, called Justice Matters. Um, So I was there learning about how to 
to um, be effective out in the community on social concerns for a short period. I saw it as sort of a, almost a sabbatical type experience. I was there for about a year and a half. And I encourage listeners to remember about Topeka Jump and Justice Matters because we're going to come back to them in a little bit, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, great. Um, and then after um, that stint in Lawrence, I went over to Manhattan First United Methodist Church, where I've been serving for the last four years um, as a pastor of mission and community outreach. Um, and again, wonderful church in Manhattan with a long history of being a church for the community there. Um, so I have been so lucky to serve amazing churches and to get some neat experiences in the nonprofit world before coming to this new role. Okay. So you have a long history with Mercy and Justice Ministry. What is it about that aspect of ministry that grabbed your attention? Uh, can you think back to when that, that moment of, this is what I want to do? Yeah, it's definitely been a journey with lots of moments, but I always know when it started. Um, and that was when I went with my high school Sunday school class on my first mission trip to Monterey, Mexico. And when we were there, we were partnering with a local Methodist church, um, and we followed them into their ministry in the basically a slum area of the city. And it was the first time I had encountered um, such horrific conditions of folks living in shacks without basic necessities, and um, and I had an encounter with an eight-year-old boy um, that shaped my life forever. Um, And basically what happened was, um, you know, I didn't know much Spanish, but I knew enough to ask his name and his age, and I I knew uh, the words for I'm hungry. And when we had pulled up into this um, slum area, we had our big shiny white van um, as the foreigners in town, and um, he climbed up on the bumper of that van, and he, he saw the coolers of food there. And when he saw those coolers of food, he pointed at them, and he told me, I'm hungry. And I knew I couldn't help him because there were so many kids and so many people. There was like crowds of people that were there and that we just didn't have enough to share. Um, And so I was devastated um, in the sense of knowing, um, you know, knowing that Jesus had taught us to share what we have and to feel like I couldn't with this little boy who was hungry. And that moment and that day was a day that I felt God saying, this is your life's work. and I didn't know what that would mean. It's taken lots of twists and turns, but I knew I'd never wanted to look a little boy in the, the face again and, and not be able to help. Please stay tuned. We'll have more from our interview with Reverend Sarah Marsh after this brief message. Join me, Ashley Alley Crawford, and me, Shelley Pitts, 
as we host conversations with and for clergy in order to describe what's happening, ask questions about how God is at work in our midst, and encourage the heart of pastors and leaders in this liminal time in which we find ourselves. Our show is called At the Threshold because we know that we are in the midst of change in this season. You can subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app. Also, check out our website at greatplains.org slash at dash the dash threshold for more resources related to each topic. Our goal with each conversation is to find a little light at the threshold. more of our interview with Reverend Sarah Marsh. We tend to think of mission work overseas or in foreign countries. Uh, the role that you're in is helping guide those types of ministries in Kansas and Nebraska and beyond. Yep. So tell us a little bit about what your hopes and dreams are for this new role that you're serving in in the Great Plains Conference. Absolutely. Well, I am so excited to begin this work, and I have big dreams. Um, I have big dreams that the people that we call ourselves United Methodists, um, who have such compassion and love that God has stirred up in our hearts for our neighbors, that we would become better and better at truly serving well, um, not only through kind of direct service um, towards and for our neighbors in our communities, but through getting down to solutions in our communities for some of the problems that we face. Um, and my hope and vision is to help congregations and to help individual United Methodists um, find ways to get involved in more and more effective and impactful action and to actually build those structures for people to walk into in new ministry opportunities. Yeah, because the whole idea is, right, is, is here's a good segue into mercy versus justice. Uh, a lot of people get those confused. Mercy, as I understand it, is you're taking care of the immediate need. Yep. After a disaster or someone's just had something terrible happen to them, Justice is getting to the systemic causes of problems and trying to work within the system and sometimes outside the system to make those things better, uh, to rectify them. Uh, that's really where you're talking about, right, is the idea of helping our churches better identify what are the systemic issues in their communities and then getting to the bottom of it and fixing those problems. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. Um, you know, we use the words mercy and justice, and those things come straight from our faith tradition. They come straight from our understanding of who God is um, and who Jesus is. And that's important for us to think about. Um, it's important for us to recognize that not only do we quote Micah 6.8 about what does the Lord require of us, but to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God— but that Jesus picks up those same words in Matthew, and he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees and calling them out for their hypocrisy. And he's saying, you do things like you even 
tithe your spices, but you've neglected the weightier matters of justice and mercy and faith. Um, So Jesus was making this distinction for us that um, there are those distinctions There are those things that we do, like with the good Samaritans that are beat up and left by the side of the road, where we care for the people in front of us. Um, But we always have to be asking, how did that happen? Why is our our society built in such a way that people are beat up and left by the side of the road? And what do we need to do to fix that problem? Wherever we are, whatever city we live in, whatever small town, um, what are are the conditions that we need to address um, that lead people to be in need in our communities? And that takes a different set of skills. Um, I feel like United Methodists in the Great Plains, we are organized to help with direct relief, um, emergency response, but long-term looking at the problems and then working towards solutions. Sometimes we need need experts to walk alongside of us. Um, Sometimes we need to know models that are out there of where where other churches are working effectively. Sometimes we feel like we don't know what we're doing. Um, And I've encountered that definitely as a pastor, um, especially in my first church, I really focused a lot on mercy ministries and relationship building because that's what I could figure out how to do. But the justice systemic work, I didn't know how to do. Um, And it really took learning about um, Topeka Jump and how they function to begin to build a new set of skills. And that's what I'm really hoping to be able to bring to a wider group of United Methodists. One of the things I want to make very clear, we're not saying don't do food pantries. No way. <laughs> because those are important. Yes. And, and that is an important and critical mercy mm-hmm. type of ministry. What we're talking about is why are people hungry in the community to start with? Yep. Uh, now, I look at it as, okay, one, the mercy is where, like you said, people people understand that. They see a need. They see the eight-year-old boys. <laughs> And, and they're concerned yep. about well-being for people, and their heart gets uh, gets tugged, and, and that's fantastic. That's what we want to do. The justice portion of it, we get into the politics of society very often. Now, my background as a newspaper editor, I'm comfortable in that realm. Uh-huh. I've had those types of discussions with U.S. senators and with with the congressmen and with legislators and even city council and mayor type folks. But a lot of other people have not. And so that can be intimidating mm-hmm. when you have somebody walk in with a $900 suit and right. entourage and sit down and want to have that discussion with you. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what are some of the things that the Great Plains Conference is doing and is planning to do to help people get educated about how they can do this justice type of ministry. So you're exactly right. It's a whole new world and a whole new realm. Um, so as I've worked with um, both Topeka Jump and Justice Matters, and then had the opportunity to work with the Mercy and Justice team for the Great Plains Conference, um, we have recognized like we've got to help people move into some of those new circles. And how do we do it? Well, here are um, partners who have a lot of experience in bringing people of faith together across um, barriers that have often stood in our way, um, whether, and a lot of those barriers have been political, right? And we haven't gotten in the same room, um, but we can, and we share the common call from God um, 
to work on behalf of our world and for our neighbors' well-being and for the common good. So we have looked to um, partners who have been around for years, who have brought people together um, across differences, both racially, culturally, and theologically, politically, Um, to identify what are the needs that are pressing in our community at this time. Needs in our families, needs in our church, um, needs with our neighbors at school and at work. Um, And then once once we've identified some of those needs, we have um, the ability to begin to look at what are what are things that other communities are doing that that effectively address those needs? What are solutions that are out there? Um, so as we have gotten um, kind of experience with, with organizations that do this work, we felt the Holy Spirit leading us through the Mercy and Justice team to be saying we need more um, organizations like that out there in the Great Plains that our church members can step into, um, where someone invites them into these discussions and gives them opportunities to lead um, through basically what are independent nonprofit organizations um, that that do the legwork for you, but give you an out. Um, kind of providing the vehicle. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So uh, prior to you stepping into this role, you were the the, the chair of the Mercy and Justice team. Right. Uh, I think that's the official term. You were always the one that gave the presentation. That's right. So so we'll go with that. Uh, So for a little more than two years now, uh, the conference has been working with two justice-oriented organizations, uh, Direct Action Research Training, or DART is how we always usually refer to them, uh, as well as the Western Organization of Resource Councils. I had to write that one down because I forget it. WORK is its acronym. And they're instituting grassroots efforts in teaching justice ministries Tell us a little bit about how that came about and how those two organizations in particular are doing exactly what you're talking about, helping educate people and give them the idea of here's how you can do these types of things. Right. Well, as a Mercy and Justice team, we felt convinced that United Methodists and the Great Plains are doing a pretty good job on Mercy Ministries, but we needed tools for doing justice. So we looked out there in terms of who are experts in doing this work. And because of my connection with Topeka Jump and Justice Matters and others on our team who'd been involved with those groups, um, we we felt like we had found what we needed in terms of um, expertise from the DART organization. Um, but what we didn't have was expertise for working in more rural areas because DART focuses primarily on um, cities at smaller cities, but also larger cities. Yeah, they have some large metro area types of organizations. Topeka and Lawrence actually would probably be kind of on the lower end yes. of their of their scale, but very active people, which is what they're looking for. Right, right. But you basically economically got to be able to have a large enough city to support an organization. Um, but the work organization was recommended to us from our partners at DART as an organization that works primarily on the western half of the United States with um, states that have large rural areas and um, that they have worked in smaller towns on more rural issues, but they've used the same 
type of framework for their work, which is to bring diverse people together around um, common needs for the common good to tackle um, community needs. And so with their recommendation and their help, we reached out to the work organization and began conversations about what would it look like if, if they would come to Kansas and Nebraska to help us do the work of addressing the community justice needs. Um, and they were excited about the opportunity. And so together, in we developed a partnership between the Great Plains Conference, the DART organization to work in cities, the work organization to work in rural areas and small towns, and developed a, a plan of action that would involve the Great Plains Conference investing a significant financial amount to put in as, a, as seed money to start new um, organizations that United Methodist could be a part of over a five-year period. So it's a, it's a long-term kind of um, building project, and, um, and we are basically a year and a half in and kind of through the pandemic. Um, so it's been interesting. But that's yeah, yeah, the way this happened, everyone, is so we the Connecting Council makes decisions for the annual conference in between annual conference sessions. And the Connecting Council uh, wholeheartedly backed the idea of, of working with these two organizations. And then a little thing called COVID-19 hit. <laughs> and it dramatically slowed down the timeline, although it did not stop it. And I think that's important for people to understand. Where do we stand right now? We're going to back up in a minute and kind of explain how they do their work. But mm -hmm. where do things stand right now with, with work with those two organizations? Yeah. Thankfully, um, with the DART side of things, we have pressed forward because we had a, a staff person who was ready to go. So we did what everybody has done and took our in-person and moved it online and have been able to make really good progress. So essentially, the first place that we want to begin our work was in the Kansas City area by starting two organizations there, one in Johnson County and one in Wyandotte County. And those organizations, you know, you have to get your board of directors put together, get nonprofit status, start raising local funds, get your leadership recruited, make um, connections with clergy who then begin to make connections with their lay people, start training. I mean, it, it's when you're building something that people have never been a part of before, um, you have to kind of cast a dream and get people to the table. It's a business startup. Yes. In, in the framework of a nonprofit that works with churches. Yes. Try to get your head around that one. Exactly. For just a second. Exactly. <laughs> but it's been incredibly successful. We've had great support from United Methodists at all levels. And um, essentially, both organizations in Kansas City will really kick off this fall with their first annual cycle that will lead to um, identifying their first issues for justice they want to work on and then beginning the research that will lead to the action in next spring. So they're going, uh, which is huge and exciting. It's like um, God has really been blessing this effort in Kansas City. Well, if you didn't catch the two counties, so Johnson and Wyandotte, they're right next to each other, but they couldn't be farther apart in terms of their demographics, socioeconomic status, 
um, very different communities that share some problems and each has their own issues. Um, I just want to point that out because I think some people, if you're not familiar with what Northeast Kansas looks like, those are two very, very different exactly <laughs> very different mission fields, but they are literally right next door to each other. Yes. And, you know, Johnson County might be one where you would think, um, well, they don't have a lot of poverty, but the truth is they have a big population. And so percentage-wise, they have an enormous amount of poverty there. Working poor would be their, their biggest challenge there because of the cost of living in that area. Yes, exactly. Um, and... So yes, there there's lots of work to be done in the Kansas City area. Um, so that is the DART progress that's been made. We leave DART. There's also mm-hmm. some things on the plans, but they aren't probably quite as far along in Nebraska. Tell yes. us a little bit about that. You bet. Um, so with this, basically, the kickoff of the first annual cycle for the DART organizations in Kansas City, then the time is now to begin building the new, uh, the next new organization, which is going to be in Lancaster County, which is the Lincoln area in Nebraska. And that has already begun. It's just begun in the last few weeks. Um, So my hope and prayer would be by this time next year, we'll be saying, and it's getting ready to kick off in Lincoln. Um, and I have every reason to believe that that will be the case. So it, it will go to Lincoln, and then the last stop will be Wichita the year after that. Please stay tuned. We'll have more from our interview with Reverend Sarah Marsh after this brief message. Matthew 28 tells us to make disciples of Jesus Christ, but how can you do that? You can help by providing some inspiration each morning to someone else. Just go to www.greatplainsumc.org slash daily devotions. Once there, you'll find a QR code and a link to a sign-up page. Pick your day and your topic. If you need some assistance, there's even a link to the Vanderbilt University Daily Lectionary. Follow the instructions for submitting your devotion and you've done your part to help inspire and encourage others in their Christian walk. Again, that's www.greatplainsumc.org slash daily devotions. Help make more disciples today. Now here's the conclusion of our interview with the Reverend Sarah Marsh. So let's go to work. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Uh, where where do they stand, and what's what's kind of the strategic plan for them in the next few months? Yeah. So it was a little different with work because they didn't have the staff on the ground in Nebraska when we started. Um, And then with COVID, that was very challenging to address. So essentially, um, we have now hired the staff that can begin the work to build the local chapters. And they've gotten started in the last few months. Um, So we have two staff, one one who has been... um, selected to work in Norfolk in Nebraska. And that is where... the northeast part of the state, for those Mm -hmm. of you that aren't aware of that. Right. Good. Uh, And that is 
that was a community that was selected after an extensive period of assessment across the state um, where there was lots of criteria that was examined as to where would where would be a great potential chapter. Um, so that organ the first organizer will begin basically just meeting people and doing lots of individual meetings um, over the next few months where um, it, it, it is like a movement where you're starting to see who's interested, who's passionate, who's got skills that you need brought to the table. So that's where the work will be for the first chapter. The second chapter has yet to be determined, but there is an exploration process going on um, in the Grand Island and Lexington areas around possibilities for a second chapter there. Um, so over the next few months, it will be determined where that second local chapter will be built. And work um, does things a little bit differently. DART just works city by city, but work um, functions on a on both a lo- local chapter level and a network of local chapters. So eventually in- That makes sense because they're dealing in areas that are so widespread out that you couldn't get the numbers of people yes. and churches together. It has to be more of a regional type of- Exactly, okay. exactly. Um, so they'll get some experience kind of working in their, their smaller chapter. And then eventually the goal will be to link up those smaller chapters into more of a statewide um, nonprofit that there will be one that gets established in Nebraska and then way down the road, there will also be one in Kansas. Um, But the first step is to build a local chapter. Right. So one of the ways that both of these organizations work that I think is fascinating is, is, is United Methodist, we talk a lot about connection. Yeah. And that's true. It is bringing together the connection of the churches within the city or within the region that these two organizations are working. But it goes beyond the folks with cross and flames on their doors. Uh, this, these, are, these are organizations that bring together people of faith, Christian, Muslim, whatever, uh, from across faith communities and within an area uh, talk to us a little bit about how that is beneficial uh, for this kind of organization, why United Methodists should get involved with Jewish people, Catholics, Baptists. You bet. All those ists out there. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we all live in the same towns and cities. We all face the same needs. Um, and, you know, when I think about the body of Christ at work in the world. I think, you know, all those scriptures about how we need each part. Um, And it's when you're doing God's work, you really need everybody in the community to be a part of finding the solutions um, and to naming what does justice look like? What does peace and health and well-being look like? Um, So we have this incredible opportunity through these organizations to get to know people with common values, um, even if their faith and belief looks different than ours. We share so much more in common um, than we may ever realize. And we do this work um, by 
basically bringing together large groups and numbers of people. That's how you get things done in your community. So we need as many people at the table as we possibly can. Um, but it's also just, a, uh, to me, an exercise in peace building, where when you know who your neighbors are, it's so much easier um, to love them and to um, to create that that world of Shalom, that the beloved community, whatever you call it, the kingdom of God, um, together when you're working side by side. One of the things that I think is important for people to understand is that, as we've talked about in this series on in layman's terms, we've talked about how we're coming back from our own in-home exiles. And this is really, I view this as an opportunity for us really to shape the communities we live in to be what we want them to be, because everybody is hitting the reset button right now. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to be true a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. These next 12 months, I think, are probably pretty important for us as United Methodists and as Christians in general to say our community can be so much better than it was before. What can we do? And this is, this is Justice Ministries is one of the ways that we can do that. Uh, and frankly, it, it's a way that the church can make inroads with people that we don't have relationships right now. Yep. Um, I know a lot of folks think of mercy as being that but I really even think justice, younger folks especially, they want to get their hands dirty. They want to be active in doing things. Uh, what's your experience on that as far as people who don't have anything to do with the church, but they get involved in something, justice ministry, and then all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and they start seeing who Jesus is? Yeah. Uh, do you have any kind of stories or anything you can tell us about what you've seen in that realm? Yeah. You know, I... I do feel like when I was on staff at Justice Matters in Lawrence that the the bigger our impact um, became in the community, the more people wanted to join us, and they were they were constantly saying, "Do I have to be a part of the church to to be a part of this?" and and of course, as United Methodist pastor, I was always like, absolutely not. Just come along. There's no secret handshake. Right? Yeah. Just come along. And to me, it became this amazing opportunity for witness um, to here is what um, the church is at its best. We are um, creating amazing changes in our communities. And who doesn't want to be a part of that, Right. right. Um, so yes. And then even beyond that, I think, you know, the opportunity to, to work with folks who've been directly impacted by these problems, whether they're members of our churches or members of the community, um, to see people be able to take what has been horrifically painful in their lives and then to find hope that People care about what has happened to me. People care about the fact that I can't afford housing or that I lost my housing. Um, people care about the fact that my son has been incarcerated. Um, and whether it's connected to poor choices or his mental illness or whatever happened, um, the church is there for me. And that's powerful. And it, and it takes us from a place of feeling like, I don't know how to impact my community to there are people who are making a real difference. And I can feel hopeful that, that not only I'm not alone, but that there's a better future that could be possible if we work together. So we've talked a lot over this time about uh, Mercy and Justice Ministries. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure people understand or know? Yeah, I I feel like um, all, with all of this work, it 
it is a building process. Um, and the Holy Spirit just amazes me in the timing for the, the Great Plains to sense a call to this, you know, right before the pandemic started and knowing that this is exactly what we need coming out of the pandemic to be thinking about what, um, what could our communities look like. So it, in a lot of ways, it's like as we move forward, my prayer for United Methodists is that we would see ourselves as a, as a part of something that's unfolding, um, that we're building together, and that we've never been down this road before. So we need people to kind of have a um, almost pioneer spirit or entrepreneurial spirit um, where their contributions are hugely valuable. And it's not like a program we're just handing you. It's like we're, we're building this together. Um, and people, we like want people to show up in that spirit. Um, and just on like the other side of things, when I think about what's happened in our world um, since last summer and the events leading up to um, the the video being released of George Floyd and his murder. Um, there's a lot of movement also going on in our conference around racial justice mm-hmm. in particular, um, and that my hope and prayer is that that not only will that be included in this work because we're working. Uh, cross-racially for sure, mm-hmm. um, but that it could be seen that that this is going to be part of how United Methodists live out their faith um, to fight racism and, and structures that um, haven't been historically fair um, and that that those things get are understood to be tied together. Um, we are we are at work to, to be building a better society in that, piece of things too through this very good well sarah thank you very much for spending some time with us on in layman's terms yeah thank you so much for inviting me it's a pleasure for those of you who are wondering about where justice fits in um last thing i'll say is this we talk a lot about how people don't come to the church or they even leave the church because they don't see the church being genuine justice ministries is a way for the church to show its genuine faith in christ and so I hope you'll take that to heart as we think about how we're going to rebuild our community coming out of these exiles in our homes. I'd like to thank my guest for this episode, the Reverend Sarah Marsh, and I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Now is the time for us to take action. Jesus provided the supreme example by dying for us on the cross. But before he showed such love for all of us, he ate with sinners. He spoke to the outcasts of society. He showed us that all people are our neighbors. He taught us about mercy, and he showed us what it means to fight for justice. My prayer as we wrap up this series on emerging from our in-home exiles is that we will work as individuals and as communities of faith to identify how we can work for justice in our mission fields. No, we're not building a wall but we do have the opportunity to shape the communities in which we live. I hope we can do that. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. 
If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with First Com Music. You can find archived podcasts on my website, toddcypher.com, or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tcypher at greatplainsumc.org, and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.